Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson. Delighted to have you here with us today. We have a terrific guest for you, licensed marriage and family therapist, an outspoken advocate for victims of gender medicine, Stephanie Wynn. She's also a writer, host of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast, and also recently featured in the film no Way Back, The Reality of Gender-Affirming Care. And she shares a vast amount of knowledge uh, in her writings in that film and has had a real impact on our society. She's well-respected in her field and uh, has her own therapy practice called Real Talk Therapy. We don't get a lot of real talk these days, and we certainly don't get a whole lot of common sense. So, Stephanie, it's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Carson. It's great to be here. Now, um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey from from childhood to becoming a therapist? Gosh, well, um, let, let me just give you the important pieces. So I, I graduated uh, from my master's in counseling program in, in 2013. So I've been in the field for 10 years. During that time, like most licensed therapists, I went through the internship process. So I worked in, you know, community mental health, more intensive settings, as well as uh, general sort of anxiety, depression, couples counseling, things mm -hmm. like that. I've been in private practice for three years. And because of when I entered the field, I've had the opportunity of witnessing that exponential rise in youth presenting with gender-related distress. And I was trained in the approach that they call gender-affirming care, which really isn't a model of psychotherapy at all. It's, it's mm -hmm. sort of antithetical to therapy because it's about not asking questions and not trying to understand the root cause of the distress, but instead sort of slapping this band-aid and saying, you must agree with your patient and anything else is, is bigotry, and then you must usher them along this medical pathway. So when I was first trained in this model, I assumed that although it felt counterintuitive, 
these trainers must know something that I didn't know. So I sort of, you know, took it with an open mind. But I found that every time that I approached a situation that way in my clinical practice, I never really felt like we were addressing the root cause of the problem. And it, it seemed like there were these other issues being overshadowed. But I'd never heard of detransitioners. I'd never heard of transition regret. So again, I continued to assume they must know something I don't know um, <laughs> until I started to learn about detransitioners in 2020. And that really changed everything because it showed me the other side of the story. And I started to learn that these people had been harmed, including by therapists like myself. You know, fortunately, I never did that next level of training where I actually endorsed uh, medicalization and wrote letters to encourage it. I never did that. But when I when I started realizing what this approach to therapy was doing to people uh, years down the line when they faced regret and, and harm, uh, it sort of validated that quiet part of my intuition that said, there's there's something off about this. And uh, so I started doing my research, talking to detransitioners. And as soon as I put myself out there um, on Twitter and blogging and podcasting, parents from around the world started reaching out to me desperate for help. So I've learned a lot through talking to parents. And um, now they make up a significant portion of my clinical practice. Well, let me take one, one step back. Uh for the sake of our audience, uh, what exactly uh, is a marriage and family therapist? Uh, sure. It's the most common therapy license in California, which is where I began my journey, although now I'm in Oregon. Um, so I transferred during my internship phase where the most common license here is licensed professional counselor. Uh, but a marriage and family therapist is a therapist who is capable of working with individuals, families, couples, and children. And specifically, we're trained to think in a systemic way, right? So if one person in a family is presenting with some form of distress, we consider that person the identified patient. And sometimes they're sort of the maybe the most sensitive person or the canary in the coal mine of the family, or they're they're the scapegoat. And so we look at what is this indicating in terms of the whole family system. Um, and I, I think that this gender issue requires more of that kind of systemic view because it's rarely just one thing. Sometimes an individual is expressing distress that has many causes, including um, unaddressed issues in the people around them. Right. Now, the film, No Way Back, uh, was scheduled to be seen, I think, June the 21st. And AMC uh, decided to cave to the pressure and not to show it. Why are they afraid of films like that? Well, the filmmakers uh, want to acknowledge that AMC did their best. And uh, there was we, we can't imagine what it's like to be receiving hundreds of calls a day and, you know, thousands of people signing a petition. We really hold the QT project accountable for um, putting that pressure on AMC. Um, but we think that this film is considered dangerous to those who are very attached to ideas that don't have a scientific basis. This this film digests facts and medical evidence to expose a scandal that's harming people in a way that's difficult to refute. And honestly, it takes a very compassionate lens. It's made from liberal filmmakers who are supportive of lesbian, gay, and bisexual rights. So it it's sort of dangerous to the narrative that a lot of trans rights activists want people to believe, which is that the only people who oppose so-called gender-affirming care are bigoted, closed-minded, lacking in compassion and tolerance. You know, it, it just seems to me that the whole transgender movement is moving extraordinarily rapidly. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, 
there weren't nearly as many people identifying as transgenders. I think it was 0 0.1 to 0.3%. Now, in a recent survey, it's 9%, the 30-fold increase. Recently, there was an article about students at, I think it was Brown University, 40% of them identifying. <laughs> you know, I mean, is it something in the water? What? What is causing so many people to suddenly think that, or is it because it's popular to be some type of a victim now, and this is the easiest way to, to become one? Well, this is where systemic thinking is, is so needed, and some of my favorite thinkers on the subject Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying, they always say, welcome to complex systems. And I actually love that you asked, is there something in the water? And I'm going to venture out and say something that we do not address in the film at all, but something that's been on my mind lately is the role of endocrine disrupting chemicals in the environment. Um, Dr. Mm -hmm. Shanna Swan, I've, I've watched some interviews with her lately. I'm excited to read her book, Countdown. And uh, there is something in the water, something in the air. Um, sperm count has declined by 50% in the last 50 years. Um, and people now know how to turn frogs gay. So, um, and that's not to conflate same-sex attraction with transgender identification because they're two different things. But I do think that maybe there's something on a chemical level that is causing there to be some basis for young people saying, I don't feel like a girl. I don't feel like a boy. But that said, absolutely, there is an idea that has become very popular that explains whatever feelings of distress, whether it is something off with that person's endocrine system to begin with that hasn't been diagnosed, or whether it's that they're awkward, whether it's that are, that are, they're autistic, which is the case with almost half of the youth presenting to these gender clinics. I believe at the Tavistock Kids program, it was 47%. Um, many mm -hmm. of these kids have a history of trauma, bullying, sexual abuse. They've been in foster care or adoption. Um, so there are a lot of comorbidities and uh, underlying issues unaddressed in this population. And growing up with that kind of difficulty can cause a lot of shame and helplessness. So it's very appealing to have a group come in and present you with a narrative. It's not your fault, right? It's not right. your fault. It's just that you were born in the wrong body. And here, here, we're going to love you and accept you and affirm you. You have instant friends and family and popularity. You get protected from bullies. Maybe you were bullied. You were little. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything to protect you. But now, you know, we're, we're going to fight to protect you. So it's very appealing to have this, this narrative and this way of fitting in. And if you listen to the way young people are talking, which I hear all the time through their parents, mostly, um, mm. it, it's evident that it's not cool. It's, it's not even socially acceptable in many places to just be uh, an ordinary, especially if you're white, right? Like a white middle-class uh, straight kid, right? Then, then you're responsible for all the oppression of your okay. ancestors. And so who wouldn't want to take refuge in that, like you're saying, that sort of victim class narrative that says, but it's, but it's the only demographic group that one can just kind of opt into, that one can just sort of say they belong to. That's very interesting. Now, as a therapist, I'm sure you have considered the fact that children are very vulnerable because they're very suggestible and they're very curious. So you can come to a child and say, are you really a girl, really a boy? And uh, have a much bigger impact on, than on someone who's fully grown an adult. And also, I think most of the scientific world knows that the brain is not fully developed until you're in your 20s. So, you know, most kids can't even decide what they want for dinner. How in the world are they going to decide, 
you know, about such a complex issue. It doesn't make any sense. Why is it that people don't understand that? What, particularly in the scientific community, what what is causing them this herd mentality to just get behind this and to throw away all the science that they've ever learned? It is it is hard to fathom how educated responsible, functional adults who themselves were adolescents with their own crazy ideas at one point in time could could be so on board with this. And you, you bring up two important points, right, about the suggestibility of children and then about their, their lack of maturity in terms of long-term decision-making. And something I've often advised people to do as a thought experiment is try to put yourself in the, in the mind of a 14-year-old. Um, remember what, what you thought and felt like at that age. And then go on Pinterest and search Am I Trans and spend an hour scrolling and see how you feel at the end of that. See if, if your inner 14-year-old isn't, isn't questioning um, because there's this convenient explanation offered for so many normal aspects of adolescent distress, like feeling uncomfortable in your body. I mean, it's just a part of puberty, but they're saying now that if you, if you feel uncomfortable in your body, like everyone else your age, that it means that there's this, this permanent thing about you. And then, so then they take the impulsivity and the immediacy of adolescence. I want what I want and I want it right now. Mm-hmm. And they take the fact that most adolescents, unless they had a chronic illness in childhood or unless they've you know, gone through some kind of serious injury, m- most people in their in their adolescence, they take for their health for granted. You know, they don't know what it's like to suffer chronic illness. So that they're not taking the health risk seriously. And then, like you said, there's so many more years before they reach that point where their brain can even really project into the future very far and think about how are my actions right now going to impact where I'm at down the line? And is that something I really want. Now, have you experienced uh, pushback from other people in your field because you've come out? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, (laughs) I am not active on Facebook anymore, but I got kicked out of a few therapists' Facebook groups, um, one for asking the wrong questions and one just for having a presence outside of that Facebook group where I said things that they deemed transphobic and therefore made other members feel unsafe um, in their language. Um, I have, uh, there was a therapist, an actual clinical psychologist in Massachusetts who um, tried to uh, dox me on Twitter. Um, I don't know if doxing is the correct term for this, but basically encouraged his 30,000 Twitter followers to report me to my licensing board for something I said on the internet, which, you know, I've, I've been through that sort of thing before, but to see it coming from other therapists is really concerning because it indicates that what we can't even have the sort of mature professional conversations that we should be having as a field, you know, normally in, in any professional field, if there is a group that's gung-ho about some novel idea um, and then there's a group that's more reserved uh, or cautious or wait, let's we, we have some questions to ask or we need to see that how this pans out over time. Usually the more skeptical or you could say conservative group um, serves to strengthen the position of the other group. Right. It's, it's on the bold group pursuing novelty to say, oh, let's hear your concerns and let's do further research on that. Or here, actually, we have an answer to that concern or we're, we're willing to stand the test of time with you. And that's normally how uh, 
in any professional field, there is that tension that must be navigated between the people who want to charge forward on the frontiers of something novel and the people who have a more cautious approach. The two work together to balance each other out. And ultimately, the concerns of the more cautious group are integrated. So to make the new thing more robust, but that's not what's happening in the mental health field. What they do is the people who want to charge forward with this novel approach, they silence us, they call us heretics, they try to burn us as witches. And there's there's no professional dialogue. Right. And that's the, that's the biggest problem. They don't want to actually discuss it. I mean, I would love to hear a discussion of why do we have individuals who are born with two X chromosomes and others with an X and a Y? And why do they manifest themselves differently? And why, if you try to change all that, do you increase the number of infertile people. And what is the ultimate result of that? And is this leading to the propagation of people or to the elimination of people? And does that make any sense? I doubt that you could get anybody to discuss that on the other side. Well, it just goes back to what you're saying earlier about how children aren't capable of making these decisions. The average person, if you'd ask them at 13, do you want to have children? And and then you looked at those same people in their 40s to see if they decided to have children or not. <laughs> you know, what's 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 the percentage of consistency, right, between what you thought you wanted in adolescence and what you decided you wanted in adulthood? So how are we making children infertile when they haven't even had a chance to live their life and discover what they want? Absolutely. And do you feel that uh, social media has been a big part of this? Definitely. Could it, could it happened without social media. Sure. So in our film, uh, one of the detransitioners featured was uh, Joel. He was sort of a social media superstar. And so we show what he went through through his TikTok videos um, where he was getting all this attention for um, identifying as a trans woman and sort of showing off his estrogen injections and things like that. And then we see it all falling apart. We also explore the role of social media platforms like Tumblr um, for mm-hmm. detransitioners like like Michelle, who had, you know, in her case, it was undiagnosed autism and a history of, of bullying because of that undiagnosed autism um, that led her to seeking community on the internet and seeking an explanation for why she had always felt different from other people. So these ideas, I don't know how they could catch on without social media. Certainly they do catch on in friend groups, but the stories I hear from parents time after time are really that this came after their kid was spending a lot of time on Mm. TikTok, Tumblr, Pinterest, Discord. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be right back with our guest, Stephanie Wynn. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with Common Sense. Stephanie Wynn is with us today. And uh, I want to ask you, could you explain gender theory? Gender theory. Ah, so I'm not an expert. There are people who do a really good job at, you know, reading sources like Judith Butler and explaining sort of mm -hmm. queer theory and its relationship with Marxism and its relationship with the generation of youth identifying as trans. Um, so that's not something that I've gotten into a whole heck of a lot, but it is certainly a rabbit hole to go down. Um, I, I like to focus on how it's impacted my field counseling, where we have this idea of gender affirming care that pervades both the counseling and the medical fields. And in our field, like I said, it's sort of antithetical to therapy because it's this idea that you just endorse wholeheartedly what your patient tells you about themselves and you don't try to understand where that might be coming from. Um, and you don't go for the, the most minimally invasive treatments. Normally in psychotherapy, we, uh, we work with the concept of medical necessity. So, you know, you wouldn't prescribe antibiotics for a broken bone. Um, so why would you prescribe cross-sex hormones for distress related to the discomfort of your body when the studies actually show that 90% of the time that these kids are just allowed to go through puberty naturally, they, the issue will resolve itself on their own. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the clearest case of a psychological issue being treated with physical measures. Uh, it, it really doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. And yet, it really troubles me that uh, the medical profession has bought so much into this. But uh, I'm sure you have looked at some of the long-term effects of people who have transitioned. And uh, what can you tell us about that? It's it's quite worrisome. So in our film, we cite studies showing that uh, mental health and suicide rates are at their worst seven to 10 years post-transition. And I can also report just anecdotally, I don't know of any studies to back this up just yet, but anecdotally, it sure seems like the more medical intervention someone has had, the worse their long-term mental health outcomes are. So the D-Sisters... Um, have their own process of recovery, sim similar to what someone leaving a cult might go through of, you know, sort of deprogramming their brain from these ideas that were, were harmful and misleading. Um, and then, you know, women who've gone through double mastectomies have chronic pain from that and grief. Um, but then when it gets all the way to people who are on cross-sex hormones for years or who had various forms of what is euphemistically called bottom surgeries, these people are really suffering with chronic pelvic pain, urogenital issues, um, incontinence, 
um, not only infertility, but sexual dysfunction. And then the cross-sex hormones and the puberty blockers, uh, puberty blockers cause bone damage because they prevent important aspects of maturation. Puberty blockers don't just stop the development of secondary sex characteristics. They interfere with your endocrine system and your nervous system. And and they interfere with a crucial period of bone development. So one of the reasons I'm so outspoken about this is because the suicide narrative is often used to promote this stuff, right? That that threat that if you don't let these kids do this, then they'll kill themselves. And that is so harmful in a number of ways. And one of the ways that it's harmful and misleading is that if you actually look at what we do know about suicide, we know that when it comes to long-term suicide risk, one of the worst things you could do to someone early in life is to give them these medical interventions that are going to take away their ability to be physically active and that are going to induce chronic pain. That's where you get suicide risk is, is when if, you know, a young person having osteoporosis at the age of 30, because they were on puberty blockers when they were 13, that's going to cause major, major quality of life issues, pain, disability, and so many other issues. Plus, with the cross-sex hormones, you're looking at increased cardiovascular risks, um, heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, diabetes, cancer. The list goes on. When is the optimal time to, to intervene with the children? I mean, when is it too early or too late to start talking to children about this? Because they're being faced with all kinds of things. And those people don't care about when is the best time. They just want to perpetrate this sin, I think, on people. Uh, I think it's child abuse. I don't think it's ever too early, especially if your kids have access to the Internet or if you live in a place like I do, like Portland, Oregon, where it's pretty much guaranteed that your kids are being exposed to this in the schools and the culture at large. Um, Finding age appropriate ways to talk to them about it. Try not to expose them to anything that you're not sure they're already exposed to. But having conversations early on with your children about critical thinking and about um, related issues, right? So helping them understand things like, um, like for example, one of the parents I've talked to who helped her, her daughter desist, she showed her daughter uh, an age-appropriate documentary on the opioid crisis, Right. And so there's kind of a parallel issue where as your children have come, are coming of age and capable of learning more about the world, you expose them to other forms of human evil and suffering and say, hey, we don't always get things right. Right. Or teaching them about history, teaching them about all the times that people thought they were on the right side of history. They really thought they were doing the right thing, but they were actually perpetuating bad ideas. Learning about lobotomies, right? Another time that we tried to treat a psychological issue with a physical intervention and it had disastrous results. So teaching your kids to think critically, exposing them to similar things so that they can learn to think critically about those. But then also, um, I like James Lindsay's, uh, he, he did, I don't know if you ever saw his uh, applying Chinese five elements theory to psychological warfare, but he talks about earth as a symbol of where you can be strong and rooted. So um, 
So building up the ground that you stand on, nurturing your garden metaphorically with your kids is about having quality time, making sure your kids are being physically active, that they have healthy relationships with other families you trust, that you're getting outdoors, touching grass and having experiences in the real world. Plus another thing that I talk to a lot about parents is building up your kids sense of genuine competence because this trans stuff comes in to fill a void, right? And there are many voids that it can fill, but one of those is just the void of insecurity of being a vulnerable young person, not knowing who you are yet and not having your self-concept be really based in anything. And the more time kids are spending online in this abstract virtual world, the more disconnected from reality they are. So if you can get them building creating, learning a craft, learning how to repair things, contributing meaningfully to their community, then you're strengthening your own garden. You're strengthening that ground that you stand on. And you're therefore more immune as a family to some idea coming in there and hooking into those psychological vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Well, we've created an environment, a very abnormal environment. I my worst nightmare would be to wake up and be a young person today. <laughs> I'm glad I'm old uh, because there's so many things that are being bombarded with. And the whole concept of family, you know, there's 130 million uh, families in the United States. Only 23.1 traditional nuclear families are left. And, uh, you know, that's where that environment is created. That normal environment where people are fortified and encouraged and given appropriate examples. And now we have so many alternative ways to do things that don't necessarily contribute to a person's uh, well-being that it's probably not all that surprising that we're seeing a lot of things that aren't what we consider normal. Uh, cropping up, and that's going to be a continued problem. But uh, where can people go to see the movie? Great question. So they can purchase it now for streaming or DVD at nowaybackfilm.com. Um, so soon we will have a three-day access uh, streaming pass, but right now you can buy permanent streaming access and uh, also you can order DVDs. And uh, if your listeners would like 20% off, they can use my promo code, which is some therapist. Wonderful. I encourage people to go see that because Knowledge is such an important tool. And uh, if you have children or grandchildren or just children that you're around, it's very good for them to have a source of light. Uh, someone who actually will stand up and tell them the truth about all things. And one of the things that I, I love about what you're doing is you're using facts. You're using evidence. You're basing things on what has been already and what is known, as opposed to just spouting off feelings. You know, basically, it's like saying the transgender movement. I feel like I'm a tree today, and uh, or I feel like I'm a cow today. Or you can't just on the basis of what you feel like change who you are. And what we need to do is be happy with who we are and uh, to develop who we are. As human beings, we have so much potential. 
anybody with a normal brain can do almost anything, you know, if you train them the right way. And uh, instead of looking at victimhood, uh, because if you think you're a victim, you are a victim, look at ways to succeed. And I'm sure that's probably something that you managed to get across, because I suspect that you treat some of these children uh, who have this gender dysphoria. And uh, when you do that, uh, how often are you able to convince them to move in a different direction before they undergo life-changing surgery and drugs? So sadly, I actually had to stop working with minors and uh, I don't have patients in my psychotherapy practice who are questioning their gender because I'm Googleable. And uh, what people who are already entrenched in these ideas would come to believe is this myth about so-called conversion therapy, right? Which is this idea that if a therapist, I mean, what what people get wrong, and it's not written into law like this, thankfully, but if a therapist is trying to help someone with gender dysphoria um, examine the root causes of that and alleviate the psychological distress without necessarily agreeing with the identity piece or encouraging the medical piece, people who are immersed in gender activist uh culture believe that that's conversion therapy, right? That that's efforts on the therapist's part to change the person's gender identity. Now, the problem with that is that the gender identity is the source of the distress, right? So in order for someone to qualify for any diagnosis in the DSM, uh, including gender dysphoria, there has to be psychological distress or some kind of impairment going on in their lives. It's causing them anxiety or it's inhibiting their life, right? So if the sense that my sex and my gender don't line up is the cause of distress and a therapist is trying to say, let me help you with that distress. And the good news is we don't have to change a thing about you. We don't have to change your name. We don't have to change your body, right? This, you know, this is just a way that emotional distress has been projected onto this particular issue. If a therapist tries to do that, the risk is that one of these young people is going to think that that's the therapist trying to change their gender identity, as if that gender identity is this permanent thing about them and as if it's harmful to question it. So I don't work with these young people, but I do work with their parents. They come to me all the time and I, I offer the support and understanding that I can. Well, we're going to be right back, uh, take another one minute break. And uh, we're going to uh, ask our guest, what have the Europeans learned? because they were pushing in this direction long before we were, and they seem to be moving back in the other direction now. What can we learn from them, if anything? We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Common Sense. Stephanie Wynn is with us today. And uh, I want to ask you, you know, we've... We've seen a, a series of uh, Europe-based systematic reviews of evidence uh, for the benefits and risk of puberty block blockers and cross-sex hormones. And uh, the benefits are not very clear. Uh, they range from unclear to unfavorable. Uh, health authorities in Finland, Sweden, England, they've all concluded that. Uh, why are we not learning from them. Why do we have to go down that same pathway? Uh, well, I happen uh, to be a fan of many aspects of British culture. Some of my favorite uh, musical bands and uh, TV shows come out of that country. So it's my general personal observation that they're always a few years more mature than we are. I've met British 25-year-olds that have the maturity of American 35-year-olds. <laughs> so I, I think they're just ahead of us. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So, uh, th so the U.S. has yet to catch up to the developments in Europe. So many people are probably familiar with uh, the U.K.'s Tavistock Kids program, the gender identity uh, development services, I think, uh, at the Tavistock. And um, that program has been officially asked to pause after the preliminary uh, CAS report, which was, like you said, a, a systematic review of the evidence. And it, it hasn't even been completed, but the preliminary results are are not looking good. And, and these countries are looking at the same data that we're looking at. And they're looking at the flaws in things like the Dutch protocol and how the Dutch protocol has been applied to a completely different population than mm -hmm. the people in the original Dutch protocol. Um, and, you know, some of these countries have socialized health care, which makes me think that maybe they're actually thinking about the long-term health care costs of these medical interventions and realizing that they're setting themselves up as nations for, for poverty, right? If, yeah. if they're, they're inducing chronic pain, illness, and, and debilitation in vulnerable young people who, who could have grown up to be healthy, Absolutely. active members of society. And speaking of cost... I mean, when you look at some of the uh, the market benefits uh, in medicine for these transition episodes, you know, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, some of these uh, medical institutions are just making out like bandits. It, it really makes you wonder sometimes uh, if there are some ulterior motives here and not really caring about the children, but... Uh, fattening their purses. And uh, that doesn't happen so much in Europe because they have socialized medicine. But here we have a, a system that can really capitalize tremendously upon procedures. And uh, it's something that people should keep in mind. Now, one thing I want to ask you, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are saying, yes, she's 
perfectly right and she makes a lot of sense. But what can I do as a concerned citizen? Is there anything that you can suggest for people? So, of course, the first step I'm going to recommend is watch our film at nowaybackfilm.com. Use my promo code SOMETHERAPIST for 20% off. Um, but what can you do? So if you're a parent um, and your kids are not involved in this stuff, yeah, I would go back to what I said about tending your own garden, strengthening your family connections, giving your kid meaningful real-world experiences of interaction with the natural world and building a constructive sense of identity and purpose and family. So first, strengthening yourself, right? And then if your kid is involved in this stuff, um, feel free to reach out to me for a consultation or a referral um, or, you know, watch some of my other videos talking with parents about this issue. Um, but buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So try to stay sane and keep your oxygen mask on, as they say. Now, if you're just a concerned citizen, I understand everyone has their own level of risk to navigate as far as their reputation and career. Some people don't feel like they're in a place where they can say anything. But if if you do feel like you are in a place to take any chances, if you are, let's say, nearing retirement or you're financially secure, maybe lean on those strengths to be that person in your community who does say something in your setting or just start striking up conversations with your neighbors. And and I advise people try to be wary of the tendency to get defensive because especially if you're, you know, in a part of the country like I am, Portland, Oregon, where there is a lot of a lot of buy-in to these ideas, you can end up feeling kind of paranoid and defensive like because there is this witch hunting mentality about heretics like me. So you, f you feel that angst, but uh, trying to take a non-defensive, relaxed stance, knowing that your ideas are, as the name of your podcast implies, common sense, and then just striking up conversations. Hey, what do you think about men being in women's prisons? Have you heard about women getting, women getting raped, women getting pregnant in prison? Uh, what do you think about this issue? Or what do you think about men stealing women's trophies and prizes in athletics when they've they've spent their whole lives these women have spent their whole lives practicing their their sports you know issues of fairness i think really appeal to what's in the what's in the heart of of most good people and uh, you can begin to test the waters. And then, of course, writing your elected representatives. There's legislation popping off in, in another state every day, it feels like, that you could pay attention to what's going on in your state and get in touch with your representatives. Um, and also, there are now uh, five D-Trans lawsuits in the United States. Um, so let me see if I can recall. We got Chloe Cole, Layla Jane, Camille Kiefel, Prisha Mosley, and uh, there was one other that was recently filed, and I can't remember what it is. But uh, if you have money to donate, you can donate to one of these detransitioners' legal funds, um, because that's really what we need, is we need some of these malpractice suits to be won. And then we need the yeah. class action suits to follow. And then That's I would nice. also advise people to contribute whatever it is that you're good at. If you're an artist, make art. If you are a lawyer, can you can you donate an hour of your time here or there to um, consulting with someone in need? Whatever it is that you're good at, do more of that. Wonderful. You know, uh, probably some people listening to you are saying, well, she's just a mega Republican. Of course, that's what she's going to say. Living in, in Oregon, you're probably not a mega Republican, are you? 
No, and uh, and I'm sure you and I have our share of political differences. Um, I, I was always very liberal, and now I just consider myself sort of somewhere between moderate and politically homeless. I certainly didn't vote for Trump, and I don't know where you stand on the matter. I really don't like his personality, and I, I don't like his ethics on a number of issues. Now, do I agree with his stance on this particular issue? Yes, mm-hmm. but this is such a, a polarizing and dividing issue, and, and, it, and it that feels be. like a, it feels like a deliberate manipulation scheme. It feels like smoke and mirrors to turn this into a left versus right issue because it is a medical ethics issue. You know, I just listened to your episode that you did about the sound of freedom and you mm-hmm. you and your guests were making that same point. This is about protecting children. Exactly. And, and, and that's the key. And it's something that's so important to the future of America uh, to recognize that we should be doing things that are for the common good. Not for the good of Republicans, not for the good of Democrats, but for the good of us all. And the thing that helped us so much in the beginning of this country, people were from lots of different countries. And in many cases, there were communities where people could barely even communicate with each other because they spoke different languages, but they understood the concept of the common good. And if we can bring that back, I think our best days will still be ahead of us want to thank you so much for your courage to stand up on this and uh, to really bring uh, the kind of knowledge to people that will help us to solve this problem. So thank you. May God bless you. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Carson. It's been a pleasure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. certainly enjoyed that chat with Stephanie Wynn. This is a really big issue in our country, and it requires people to be willing to openly discuss pros and cons and ramifications, and not just to shut down the opposition and be intolerant of other people's positions. That's one of the things that made America into a great country. So for your assignment for this week... I want you to do some research on what's going on in your home state regarding gender-affirming care and get involved in the fight. 
and uh, be courageous and be willing to stand up not only for what you believe in, but stand up for the children. They're defenseless. You know, children are naturally curious and they're so suggestible and they are perfect victims for people to come along and say, you're not really this, you're not really that. Come on, we have got to protect our children. We can't just leave them out there as vulnerable victims. And that's it for this week. And make sure you subscribe for free Apple Podcasts so that you don't miss any episodes, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Make sure you rate us, review us, tell everybody you know about us because we have got to spread common sense in this country. Common sense has to become common once again. And until next week, not only remember, but treasure the cornerstones. Faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.